the business angle with Justin Angle, Justin Angle in studio. What's up, man? Not much. I'm looking at the camera out of habit, and it's not even on. I don't even know what I'm doing that for. Look at me. Yeah, I know, right? Here we go. We're gonna. I'm just gonna take a seat. Nobody even cares. I have a face for radio, so (laughs) it's great, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. It's been a while. So Justin is a business professor at the University of Montana, also a podcaster and contributing guest on this here radio show. And a couple times a month, we sit down to talk about the overlay between. Uh, business and sports. Um, first of all, how's your break? I mean, I guess it's not really a break because you've been off teaching this uh, this last fall. I am so. on sabbatical. It feels like break kind of started this week. Okay. Uh, as you know, I'm working on a book with uh, my collaborator, Nick Mott, about wildfire, and we just submitted the manuscript to the publisher. Congratulations. Ago. Cool. Um, so, yeah, that feels like a big... Uh, I mean, we're in that period now where we don't know what the the next steps are as far as editing and so forth goes, but um, initial reports are that they're pretty happy with it, so I think it's going to be smooth. Sweet, man. Well, congratulations. That must be a big relief. It is. Very much so. Well, good. I'm uh, happy for you guys. I can't wait to see how the old... I, I'm fascinated by the process of this as much as the actual <laughs> yeah. content. So, As am I. <laughs> uh, very, very excited to see it. Uh, by the way, that is your show, Outlook, presented by Brent Wahlberg and the Wahlberg team, the official realtors of Grizz Athletics. Any and all real estate questions you might have uh, in Western Montana, give Britt and his team a call anytime. You want to stream the show, you can always use the ESPN MT app. You can also use our station website, 1029ESPN.com. And if you want to be a part of the show, uh, you always can. Call us or text us, 406-888-1029. I, uh, it's, it's so funny because as a kid... You just like what you like, and you don't really analyze why you like it, right? One of the ultimate sports questions I've had in my sporting fandom life has, especially since over the last 10 years, we've learned so much of the unsavory side of Tiger Woods, was why am I still so obsessed with this guy? And I start to analyze it, and I'm like, I I never really liked his personality. He's always been rather abrasive, Mm -hmm. Uh, but but you always gravitate towards him still. And, and for someone that loves sports but is not that much of a fan of any in- independent person or team or entity or anything like that, I always have been a huge Tiger Woods fan. I've always been rooting for him to win. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it I settled upon was just that uh, he – you want to be, be able to say you saw the greatest of all time, right? And he had so much prodigious potential – that you just thought, well, this guy is going to get there. And now here he is in his late 40s. And and I don't know how we measure this sort of stuff, but uh, it's still up for debate if he has actually gotten there. But that transcendent time in his peak, unbelievable. So even though I've already read multiple books about Tiger Woods, I started reading uh, the Jeff Benedict Armin Katea book, which I think came out early last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the one that the HBO documentary was kind of based off of. But the part I was on is a perfect uh, segue for us here at the Business Angle. It's all about when Tiger Woods first was like becoming a national star. He wasn't an international superstar yet, but he just won his third straight U.S. Amateur. He'd won the national championship at Stanford. Everybody's talking about this kid. Everybody's pulling at this kid. Everybody's thinking this kid could be a, a PGA Tour champion right now. But then his parents like, you should stay in school, whatever. The part I want is when they're negotiating the rights and the endorsements and stuff, and then he decides to go pro, and then the part I'm on, his agent and his dad get hammered on martinis before they go to the negotiation <laughs> meeting with Nike, and they still somehow swing a $60 million deal. Yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself, that would be an unbelievable moment in terms of just endorsements 
period, anytime. But you're talking 1996 for a 19-year-old kid, and he's getting $60 million. I mean, at this point, to put that in perspective, Michael Jordan was making like five to $8 million a year from Nike. Probably, I guess 96, probably a little bit more. But still, he was uh-huh. the highest paid athlete on Nike's payroll, and he's a 19-year-old kid. Yeah, and he hadn't even gone pro yet. He hadn't even gone pro yeah. yet. Yeah. Why do you think it was that he was such a transcendently uh, marketable player well, I think, or athlete? I think if you if you put yourselves in that moment, like, yeah, that is a big swing by Nike. And you also have to sort of look back at that kind of... If it is true that, you know, the agent in Earl Woods got sloshed on martinis before the meeting, I mean, it's kind of uh, prescient of the, or, 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 you know, correlates with the brashness that Tiger Woods played with and apparently the brashness he lived his life outside, off, off the golf course. But that moment, you know, it, it was a huge risk, high return kind of play. Totally. Right, $60 million, but you look at it, if you're trying to compare it to Michael Jordan, it's like, it's an individual sport. Right. Right. You can, it's easier to build stories around an individual player. That's right. Uh, it's a player that looks different and has a different background than most of the other players uh, on the tour at the moment. Um, he plays differently. He looks like when he strikes the ball, it looks different. Totally. It's hard to explain, but if you've ever watched Michael Jordan play basketball, which probably everybody listening has, he just moves differently than That's any right. other player right. before and any other player since. And the same thing, I think, occurs with Tiger Woods. You tune in, whether you like golf or not, because you might see something that the world has never seen before anytime he picks up a club. And that brings in so many people. And then you attach that spectacular ability to all the storytelling you can layer on top of it. Just a uniquely powerful force in marketing. For sure. And then it's also uh, the fact that golf, you can go, uh, the average guy can go play it too, right? You yeah. see Tiger Woods, you're like, that's awesome. I'm going to go play totally. golf. And then you can go buy your Nike golf stuff and it's a perfect endorsement uh, hook, right? Anybody that plays golf can probably, like anybody that plays it enough can think they have a reasonable shot at making a hole-in-one on a par three someday <laughs> in their life, right? Right. Probably won't happen, but every time you come up to that ball, you think, there's a shot here. For most people that play pickup basketball, there is no shot they're ever going to dunk a basketball. Right. Right? Right. Especially like Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, leave that aside. But like, even a dunk is just this unfathomable skill that, totally. that nobody can identify with. Yeah, it, it's such a good point. Justin Angle in studio, the business angle, the first one for 2023, the overlay between business and sports. The other part of this that I'm on is is this is when he's first starting to get full media exposure. Yeah. He had been such under the thumb of his father, and then he he basically he wins the Masters, and he says, okay, Dad, I love Course you. Course record, going away. I mean, going away. Yeah. That's the other crazy part. It's as Gary Smith says in his, his uh, famous Sports Illustrated article, he said, no one in the history of, sp- of sport had become the most dominant person or player in that sport the day they went pro, let alone when they were 20, right? I mean, even Michael Jordan's a transcendent player. He didn't win a championship until he was 29, right? I mean, LeBron James didn't get his first ring until he was 28. He's in the league for 10 years. Yeah, and the history of Augusta, right? you know, racial dynamics, all of that stuff just coming together at the right moment. I mean, to just blow the doors off of it, it is totally crazy. But the the two profiles that they highlight in there was that Gary Smith article, Mm -hmm. which very much was sort of the 
the the lead in to what became the saga of Earl Woods because so much of the story is about Earl Woods proclaiming yeah. that Tiger is not only the greatest going to be the greatest athlete of all time, but this young man's going to change the world. He's going to be the next Gandhi. He's going to be the next Dalai Lama or Nelson sure. Mandela, which was a just insane level of pressure to put on uh, a young man. But then the other one is right when Tiger Woods had sort of t- taken advantage of his own decision-making, and Charlie Pierce did a profile on him for GQ. And Pierce basically writes the entire article all about the, the photo shoot with Tiger and these five women models. Yeah. It's so unbelievable in so many different ways. So well written, such a sharp and poignant picture of Tiger. But also, I couldn't get over all the stuff that they quoted Tiger on. That if you were quoting athletes on that now, everybody in the in the room would be canceled, right? Yeah, the writer, exactly. the magazine, nope. the athlete, everything is. And I couldn't help but think, man, that's crazy how much the world has changed in just twenty five years. Yeah, and he came up before social media. He came up at a very kind of. At a, at a time where he could have a private life that was distinct from his public persona and not everybody had a camera in their pocket at any moment. And you think about that. You give a 19-year-old, no matter how poised and well-educated and well-raised, $60 million. Man. When he's on a tour as an individual, hanging around with guys that don't have to take great care of themselves to perform on the golf course generally. I mean, Tiger in many ways revolutionized that by bringing fitness and athleticism to the sport. Um, But yeah, I mean, to to create a scenario in which you feel invincible and feel like you can do anything you want to do. I mean, this is like a textbook recipe. It is a fascinating book. If you haven't read it, if you haven't read it, I would suggest uh, any out there or Justin that you should should definitely read it because... It has every element, right? It has parenting and nature versus nurture and what it's like to raise a prodigy, what it's like to be a prodigy. And uh, it's amazing because he handled it. It actually, for the scenarios that surrounded Tiger Woods, he actually handled it unbelievably well. The fact that it didn't explode on him until he was in his 40s is pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, when you say handled it pretty well, you got to set aside some of the personal behavior. <laughs> totally, and, and totally. Just the fact that he was a totally. scoundrel. Totally. But um, as far as athletic performance, he handled it exceedingly well. And, and that compulsion to perform on the golf course and to practice, you know, that, compor- uh, that compulsion to just be a winner at all levels. I mean, in many ways you could argue it led to the destruction of his body. You know, he got totally. obsessed with the, the special forces and all of that. And he just, the body can only take so much and he's broken down. He was so powerful that he kind of destroyed his body. It's true. It's true. I, I, he didn't, he wasn't able to have like Jack Nicholas won his last masters when he was 46 or 47. And because he had such an elegant, smooth yeah. swing, right? Yeah. Tiger, Tiger was past his prime in his mid thirties because he, like you said, he swung so hard and he just played just so hard. Break his knee, break his hip, his yeah. back, all of it. Unbelievable! Uh, you want to check out that book, Jeff Benedict Armin Kate, a really good yeah. one. It's just called Tiger Woods. Um, into some of the stuff that we've been talking about all through last year, into right now, and now that we are into twenty twenty three, they had their top ratings for all of the things that were on television this last year, and. I guess from our perspective, probably not unexpected that the top 10 viewed events on television this last year were NFL games. So that was one of our themes of 2022. The NFL never stops winning. And uh, despite all of the stuff that's gone on in the last year or whatever, 
it still is the the number one draw on television. It is in the world of professional sports. It is still the NFL and everybody else. And that that statistic is just so striking that or that top ten list, like the top ten most watched sporting events of right. the year twenty twenty two were all NFL games. Right. And a mix of, you know, the Super Bowl and playoff games, but also the Thanksgiving games sure. and some other just key matchups during the week. Uh, it just goes to show you that the NFL has such a stranglehold on you know, our share our, our, our share of attention when it comes to professional sports. It is, uh, it is fascinating, too, that uh, now it seems as if the fervor around it continues to increase no matter what because we've seen over the last couple months, a couple really horrific injuries, specifically Tua Tagovailoa and his uh, saga with his head injuries. Yeah. And then, of course, on Monday Night Football, the injury that shook the whole world, and it's the only thing that's been being talked about when DeMar Hamlin suffered what looked like cardiac arrest and had to be taken off the field. It's crazy to me, though, that even things like that don't seem to be deterring the fervor for the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's too early with Hamlin. Totally. To tell. Totally. Uh, I mean, I think that is an event of a different sort. We can come to that back to that in in in, in a moment. The the Tua case with concussions, like those aren't necessarily new, right? Like we've been right. told by the NFL that they've developed stricter protocols and and hard, you know um, more appropriate screening mechanisms to determine if a player can be back on the field or not. And and it is a scandal that you know if those protocols were violated and it appears they were that that is a scandal but you know the fact that the player is able to go out and kind of continue to perform um dulls that scandal a little bit the players want to play too the situation with hamlin i mean i I don't recall seeing something like that the only thing I've ever seen that was kind of like that was when Hank Gathers passed away, like a right. Marymount basketball player. Had, you know. had a heart attack. Yeah. Like or some, some cardiac. Some sort of cardiac arrest. episode, yeah. yeah. And even then, you didn't quite, it didn't quite, it was a smaller game, smaller arena. This was central stage on Monday Night Football. And, you know, I was watching it. You know, with a with a concern for what was happening with the athlete, but also wondering, like, what is the optimal way for the NFL, the teams, and the media to kind of handle a moment like this? Like, we're right. seeing, it is news. It's, it's unfolding. Uh, you've got a big audience. They want information. But you also want to be respectful of the individual and not, you know, dramatize what could be a tragedy unfolding on national television. So, you know, I wonder from your perspective as a journalist, like, what is the right way to cover that. I thought about this. The Business Angles presented by Blackfoot Communications. You're listening to Nuanas now here on ESPN Radio. Appreciate Blackfoot for all of their uh, continued partnership with us here at Missoula Broadcasting Company. Uh, you can visit goblackfoot.com to help Blackfoot help you uh, connect to more. Um, I thought about this extensively because it is one of those seismic events where, first of all, is a huge game. Bills, Bengals, both teams already in the playoffs, both teams fighting for division championships. Yeah. You got multiple, I mean, got two of the star quarterbacks in the NFL. So there's already a lot of eyes on. It's also, you know, the Monday after a long weekend, after a long holiday. So a lot of people probably just chilling, lounging, middle of the winter. All of the things were already pointing towards a lot of eyes. But it was one of those events where if you're not watching Monday Night Football, you should turn on Monday Night Football right now. Yeah. Even if you're not a sports fan, people are texting each other. Holy cow, something went on. We didn't see what happened. Well, what's going to happen? So from a full-on content perspective, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, they got to keep it on ESPN because 
the, the nation is captivated by this at this yeah. exact moment. Yeah. On the other hand, though, I thought I, I, this could be a moment where this this young man is is dying. Could, yeah, very and, well could have died I, right I, there. And I thought, first of all, how hard that would have been to been Adam Schefter and Susie Colbert and and Booker McFarland in the studio, and they kept cutting to him. Yeah. And and if you don't have an update, what do you say? All you can say is, I really hope this young man doesn't die. That's all you can say. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, just from a, a content perspective, I thought they should have put like an, an auto news ticker on there and then cut back if they had updates and then gone to some sort of alternative programming. Yeah. Because I thought it was really tough position to put the reporters and the journalists in. Because again, I don't, I don't know what else you'd say. And it seems like some of this, you know, post hoc reporting about, you know, whether the NFL was thinking about restarting the game or not. I mean, yeah, that's interesting information. I, I, I don't think, given what was happening in that moment, like, it's not unreasonable for people to ask, like, is this game going to start again? And what, and to game out those scenarios. And if, if an organization is having, you know, live decision-making, I think that range of options had to have been considered. And ultimately, they made the right call. Sure. Um, whether or not they sort of momentarily thought about restarting it, I, I I don't think they can be blasted for that to the extent they have been. Well, and and that's the thing is that I know I'm in the minority on this. I'm not trying to be insensitive to Demar Hamlin or anything that happened within that game and the shock that the players experienced because it certainly was very obvious and yeah. very authentic that they were all very shocked by this and and very traumatized even potentially by this, but. Catastrophic injuries, life-changing injuries happen in the NFL in pretty much every single game, every single weekend. This one was just a very specific one that then resulted in such crazy visuals, I think, for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, CPR and the AED and the needles in the arm and the, you know, the the ambulance coming on the field, those are all like very obviously symbolically serious uh, indicators of what's going on. But like Teron Johnson, who plays for the Buffalo Bills, who's a Weber State alum, he suffered a significant head-slash-neck injury in this same game literally moments before this happened. And he was carted off the field, but it wasn't an ambulance. He wasn't rushed to the hospital, but he's certainly messed up, and that's certainly going to affect his life in the short and long Mm -hmm. term. No matter, I don't know how serious it really is, but it's certainly something serious enough that's going to affect him in the long term. And that's, that's why I was like, okay, it's just an interesting precedent. I totally understand the shock that came from that situation, but also I agree with you. It's not an illegitimate question to ask if you. I mean, there's never been, to my knowledge, a game that was postponed or or, or canceled in the midst of it because of an injury right, ever. Right. And so, you know, it's I, again, I'm not trying to demean the seriousness of this, but there are serious injuries that happen in the NFL all the time. So, you know, one other thought here, you you kind of couch this in the framework of, you know, how does this compare to the situation with, with Tua and the head injury? I, I think one thing that stands out here is this is a different sort of um, health problem. Right. Right, like seeing athletes collapse from heart attacks that's not in the normal course of what we expect to see in sports. Totally. You know, a Joe Theismann compound fracture, that's grisly and hard to watch. A Tim Crumry snapping leg in the Super Bowl. Totally. Really hard to watch, but you're like you see it and you're like, that's unusual, but not a shock. Right, totally. Whereas a player like literally kind of drops dead. Right. That is out of the normal course of expectation for any of the viewers, any of the players, any of these people. So I think there is this like, whoa, this is a truly unprecedented situation. Totally. 
And to your question about how this will affect, if it will affect the NFL's viability, I mean, it, it depends. Like if it turns out that sudden cardiac arrest is tied, is a specific risk factor to playing football, maybe there's a story there, but it could have just been a random thing. Yeah, and I, I think that too, the thing that was, well, twofold, there's been two things about this that have been frustrating to me. The then subsequent exploitation of this young man. Yeah. It's been the only thing that's been talked about on sports radio and on sports television for, for days. Yeah. And again, I totally understand the newsworthiness of this, but I also don't necessarily know if you need to have a whole team of reporters that you're cutting to every 15 minutes yeah. all the time. You know what I mean? Like the update's going to be the update. But that's the consequence of having it front and center Monday Night Football yeah, with all those right. eyeballs there. Like all those people are curious. They want to know. Yeah, it's true. I also think, though, it just reemphasized to me what I've long already believed, and that is that there's, despite the NFL being the most popular sport in America, there's a full disconnect between the majority of NFL fans and what NFL football actually is. Yeah. It's an incredibly violent blood sport oh, that, yeah. that I mean, it, it, it is second to only maybe the UFC in terms of its just total violence. But because there's the event of it and the tailgating and the communal aspect and the fandom and the hot dogs and the beers and the chants and the jerseys and the face paint and all this stuff... It's been sort of uh, softened in the way that it's delivered. I, I was thinking about this this morning. You, you might you have you have children. You, mm -hmm. you might take your children to an NFL game. Yeah. You'd probably not take your children to the MGM Grand to watch a no, heavyweight I title. I would not. About no. right. But the, the disproportionality of the violence between the two is not actually that much. Mm -hmm. We've normalized to it, and, and yeah. that's I, that. I think is the part that was the most striking to me is that it took a young man collapsing on the middle of the field and having a near-death experience for people to realize, oh my gosh, this is hardcore. Yeah. I, I thought it was striking. Yeah, it really is. It's one of those those images that you know people will remember that moment where they were and, and the circumstances under which they were watching. No one is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, except for not today. We are... Uh, be back on SWX tomorrow, and then we'll be uh, always on the ESPN MT app if you want to see our shining pretty faces. Uh, Justin Angle in studio, The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, one last thought for you. Uh, the early signing period opened a couple weeks ago for college football, mm -hmm. and so now you're seeing all the, the rollouts of all the big programs saying all the things that they're touting, and you see recruits going on visits. I saw the other day a recruit tweeting a video of a visit to Miami, and uh, at the University of Miami now, they have this whole training center with a uh, you know, recovery facility, some oxygen, all these sure. different things. But they have a whole bureau for brand development mm -hmm. for the athletes. Yeah. And I just, I, first of all, if, if Miami's got it, then everybody either has got it or they're going to get it. But then I also kept wondering to myself, what's like the, the breaking point for the homogenization of this, right? Like if, if every D1 university has 400 student-athletes, and they all have the opportunity to go to this brand development, yeah. then at what point does the brand development not matter because just everybody has it? So then how do you make your brand stand? I don't know. It just uh, seems sort of trite to me. I mean, you could ask the same thing about sport in general, right? Sure. The players come in, they do the same drills, they do the same conditioning exercises, and the cream rises to the top sure. in many ways. And so what we'll sure. see... You know, these these the, the, the institutions need to build out these brand development centers. I mean, it's given that NIL is name, image, and likeness is now a part of the sport, you, 
it, it makes sense that you need, you could recruit on that basis. Like we will help you develop these skills to right. monetize your personal brand, right? So that makes sense. I mean, say what you want about whether that's the way it should be, it is the way it is. And so you can't fault schools for developing that. Now, it's the, the question of whether it has value or not, I don't think it necessarily dilutes it because it gives, presumably it gives students, student athletes, like a range of skills and considerations mm-hmm. to think about when, when developing a personal footprint in the marketplace. Some students will do that well, some won't. So I look at it like any other kind of piece of sure. educational content. The place where I think it might provide benefits that we're not really talking about is I'm hopeful that these sorts of places ha- or centers have some financial education as well. Right. How do we prepare these young people for the amount of money that they're going to be exposed to and acquire? How do we teach them the value of compound interest and so forth and managing money and commissions, like all these different things, because you hear over and over and over again, and we heard, you know, we talked a little bit about it with Tiger Woods and his $60 million deal at 19. Like, there's a tremendous amount of responsibility and weight that comes with that kind of financial presence. And hopefully these institutions can you know, develop systems to help those student athletes deal with it better. Well, that's exactly what leads me to the, my last thing. I've, I've heard now there's a couple different D1 institutions that have hired basically third-party scouting firms to scour the country for talent, particularly when it comes to potential transfers. Yeah. I think you see that when you see a guy hit the portal and then he's committed somewhere else in the next two days, it's because he's already been scouted. And then all of a sudden, certain schools were alerted and then boom, you know, like Montana State's kicker, Blake Lesnar, boom, he's going to UCLA like that. You wonder how much of that was already brokered. But then I couldn't help but wonder, what's the future? Because something like this it's becoming this gigantic financial monster. Yeah. And we can't have that sort of gigantic financial monster without regulation. And I don't know if the NCAA or any other college-related entity has the ability to govern this. Well, we don't know. I, we think, don't know, right. I think they have to try. And this, you know, we've talked continuously in this segment about the decline in the relevance and the power of the NCAA. Right. This is an opportunity for maybe them to to do something relevant and beneficial to the institutions and the athletes that could could help them maintain some of the power. There's an opportunity for quality regulation here. Whether or not they can pull it off, uh, I don't know. That would be a fascinating subject, and I'm sure we'll get to it sometime in the next year or two, because there's going to be some huge six- and even seven-figure sums Absolutely. handed out for NIL deals and transfer portal mm-hmm. deals. If you go to the transfer portal... And then you get $5 million to transfer to a different school. I would love to know, like, the tax ramifications of that. Who knows, right? <laughs> like, is that like a prize? Is it like winning the lottery? Are you in a tax bracket because that's earned income? Sure. I'm sure it's compensation. Do you have to pay and the tax in Florida or California? Like, well, yep. man, you could do a whole and tax how class is it structured? What's guaranteed? All of that. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You know, all kinds of implications. Well, we're happy we have you to at least help uh, explain it to us. We will keep talking about... Many of these same subjects, but uh, good conversation today, man. Thanks yeah, for being thanks, here. Yeah, thanks, brother. The Business Angle with Justin Angle, a couple times a month here on Nuanas Now. It's presented by Blackfoot Communications. Let Blackfoot Communications help you connect to more.